Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Matt, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Looking over to my right at the Redcast resident Irishman Mac for a little help catching up on some Gaelic. Terran there in law. Mac, continue, please. <laughs> What's up, Redcasters? Exciting news announced today. Um, the trip to Ireland is on. Uh, my family, I'm sure, is super, super excited as we are. We consider ourselves the blue blood of the Nebraska Irish. So, thank, uh, really excited about this news. Let's uh, gloss over the game last week and just talk about that. Thanks. <laughs> it was brilliant that uh, Bill Moose releases that like 36 hours after uh, the loss to Minnesota. I'm also with Boomer. Yeah, I just wanted to point out it was kind of strange that I had tweeted uh, a Groundhog Day reference the morning of that Minnesota game. I didn't quite realize how apropos that was going to be. It seems like we're just reliving that again and again and again. (laughs) Just a nightmare that keeps on coming back. This one was unusual in the sense uh, that uh, we didn't really expect it. Ohio State, for example, we're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a rough day and you know, Mac, you actually said, let's not sweat this. I'm not worried about Minnesota. Well, that, that didn't turn out very well for you. So maybe we just turn the page and talk about the trip to Ireland. I don't know. What do you think, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we talk about all the time, don't be small Husker fans, and uh, I'm not going to be. Uh, that game was disappointing, and I won't sweat Minnesota next year, and I won't sweat Indiana coming up, and I'm not going to sweat Iowa. I'm just not going to sweat some teams we should beat. However... We, we, we've got to address some issues. <laughs> this, this team needs this, team need this bye week in a very bad way. I think we all needed this bye week in a bad way. I think it uh, be a good time to catch up with maybe some other things going on aside from, from college football or at least Husker football. Yeah, you know, Honky, uh, I, I do want to talk about the Ireland, Ireland trip because I'm already looking forward to it. But uh, let's stay in the moment a little bit of the disappointment of the, the Minnesota loss. Uh, we were able to do the rapid reaction there uh, on Saturday night right afterwards. And um, at that point, you had a lot of chance to, to look at film. And, you know, I think, you know, Scott Frost had not a lot of chance to look at film at that point. You know, he commented today a little bit that maybe less disappointed about the performance overall after watching film a little bit uh, and that there's some, some correctable solutions out there. Do you feel like uh, that's just coach speak or, you know, as we dive into this red cast, are we going to be able to talk about some potential ways that we can turn the page from this loss? There is no team that needs a bye week more than this team. And as we were getting done with our seventh game of the season last Saturday night, Northwestern was getting done with their second bye week. Yeah. <laughs> They're playing their sixth game this week as we are finally getting our first bye week. We looked tired. There's only one other Big Ten team in the in the conference that hasn't had a bye week either until this week, and that's Michigan State. We can see how they've been playing too. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that's what I saw on the field. As much as trying to correct issues, this team just looked beat. Yeah. Well, most experts would agree that you see the biggest improvement in your team from week seven to eight. <laughs> I'm like, I, I mean, that's, that's common knowledge. Everybody, everybody knows that. That's a proven that's, fact. That's, that's usually when your kicking game comes online and, and you've really sort of sorted out your center high snap positions, everything like that. So it's science. It's, I mean, am I the only one here? <laughs> am I alone on this little, this island? I'm, no concerns. Seven to eight. <laughs> Seven to eight. Uh, right. me. Boomer, uh, you uh, were able to actually watch the game in person. Um, unfortunate that as that was. Uh, I think you might have had a, a few 
you know, drinks at your tailgate beforehand and um, we're able to, to get into the stadium and uh, there's plenty of seats to be had, huh? Yeah, plenty of good seats available. Uh, you know, I do want to say I, I always enjoy trips to Minneapolis. I, I like the games there and I do want to give a shout out to Minnesota fans. The few that were in attendance, they're all really good people and they're a fun fan base to hang out with. If you ever get a chance to go to a game in Minnesota, I mean, it's great. I know coach business casual tends to annoy the average Husker fan on the sidelines, but you know, the Minnesota folks are great. So it's it, it's well worth the trip up there. Pretty well prepped for the weather. It didn't really impact me too much in the game. And it, oddly enough, I don't think it really impacted the, the game itself too much. I mean, it was like playing in a snow globe, but it didn't seem to cause fumbles or have any trouble with the, the center snaps like we were worried about. And kind of like Honky said, I don't know if we were just tired and exhausted and just that was that lack of depth that the program has finally coming to a forefront here. But we really just weren't in any great way to compete in that game. It was kind of kind of the worst part about it. So everything was fun up until the game again. And we've said that a few times times this year sadly enough you know we're sponsored now by plowboys barbecue uh mm-hmm. outstanding uh place to go and get some uh, barbecue some burn ends and now that we are sponsored boomer we have to buy you a red coat or a red long sleeve something because we saw a photo of you walking to the stadium and you're wearing gray and that's not how huskers do it on, on boomer. i had so many different colors on underneath it was the only the, the wooliest warmest thing i had at the time so i had white black red on underneath and about eight layers so i was representing the best i could but yeah i do need a red coat of some sort or another you know that's i think the third away game that the red cast has gone to already this year right honky and i were at colorado honky and mac were illinois this is true and now boomer has covered minnesota um, I don't know who has the the uh, Purdue gig, uh, but <laughs> Honky, are you going to Maryland? Is that right? I'm still oh, contemplating the Maryland nice. game. I might be. Nice. All right. So, yeah. Well, hopefully we're not uh, playing for bowl eligibility at that point. Uh, my point there is, is we do have the big news that uh, Nebraska is going to be playing Illinois in uh, the first game of 2021. In Ireland, which uh, Mac and everyone else here in the Redcast is terribly fired up about. We're already organizing our, our trip, and um, maybe we'll be able to, to help others as well. But it's uh, a unique thing. You know, our fan base, Honky, uh, I think that's representative of the fan base and how we travel so well. We're passionate about this team. And that also plays out on how we sometimes can overreact on Twitter and Facebook and um, this, uh, all those things that uh, people tend to to just fire off random thoughts before they really think about them, and um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that and how, as a blue blood fan base, uh, we need to be able to balance out these disappointments with, as Max says, uh, not being small, right? <laughs> well, maybe a service we can do, Dave, for the Redcast Nation is maybe we should have a public service announcement on how we should respond to games like Saturday to make sure that, you know, we're moving all in the same course in a positive right. direction. Sometimes you- your passion gets a little out ahead of you and we're all, we're all guilty of that. So yeah, just yeah. A, maybe, maybe a little reminder or something that we could help with. And now a Husker fan public service announcement. Hey Husker fans, another game day loss got you down? Feeling like you need to blow off that L column frustration? What better place to go than... Twitter! Twitter! I'm gonna log on and do some tweets! Wait, no. You interrupted me there. I don't think you should go on Twitter and... Tell them who should be fired! Somebody better be fired! Yeah. 
Someone definitely needs to be fired for this. Well, I've got a new and better option for you. I'm going to get on the Twitters, and I'm going to tweet at them directly. Yeah, as a grown man, I'm going to tweet this 20-year-old and tell them exactly what I think of them. Going to be sure to go public with my unhappiness because that will finally get it fixed. Oh, my great-grand island, no! Man, does this sound like you? Well, folks, help is on the way. The next time your game rage wants to burst through your blowhole via your thumb muscles, pull an audible. And instead, grab a nice cold frothy glass of Stay Off of Twitter, otherwise known by its acronym of SOOT. That's S-O-O-T. Stay Off of Twitter. Suit is a scientifically tested and proven method that helps with your game day blues, as well as preserve your personal integrity going forward. So next time a fumble has you ready to go public with your angry mumble, let Suit intercept that impulse as you go ahead and pay us on that tweet. See what I did there? This has been a Husker Fan Public Service announcement brought to you by the Association of a Level-Headed Tomorrow. And now, Scoring Explosion, the offensive breakdown. Uh, Right now we're having to pick and choose run plays and and try to scheme too much instead of just winning up front and being able to rely on our run game. And that that needs to get fixed. Uh, It's not an easy fix, but we're going to go to work and uh, try to get really good at at something in the run game that we can uh, lay our hat on. All right, that was a creative mind of producer Skip right there. Uh, good stuff with that public service announcement. Now on to our scoring explosion segment, talking about the offensive breakdown, and there's not a whole lot of positives here, Mac. Uh, you know, Scott Frost, they talked about wanting to you know kind of hang his hat on something going forward that we need to be able to have some run plays that actually work. You know, when we were breaking down that Minnesota game last week, we talked about how, you know, can we run the ball and can we stop the ball, you know, running against with, with Minnesota. And it, it played out exactly the way we didn't want to see that. Of uh, Once again, an ineffective run game uh, doesn't set up this offense to be successful. Uh, what did you see there on that offensive line that um, was causing problems for you? It's such a broken record at this point in the season, but I guess we are who we are. But it, it, it still tends to be, if it's not bad snaps, and it wasn't bad snaps this week, it's, it's kind of missed assignments or a lack of physicality. Because, you know, Coach Frost talked about this. Are we bigger, stronger, faster? Yes, we're bigger, stronger, and faster. They can, they can quantify it. There's ways to, to measure that, and we are those things. We need to get bigger in some spots, but Zach Duvall's done a great job. I've seen some of those guys in, in on our team move weight in the weight room. And when you move that much weight, you shouldn't get pushed around. How is that manifesting on the field? It's it's not. And that boils down to a want to, a mentality, and just a just a, a force of will. Because that's all the running game really becomes. You know, it's a matter of forcing your will on somebody else. And you know, they talk about culture all the time. They talk about the cleanliness of practice and in 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 the crispness of the of their execution. But but at the end of the day, man, you've got to want to beat the guy in front of you. You got to want to take it to him, and you've got to you've got to have everybody on the same page doing that. And in, so far throughout this season, we lack that. What and it doesn't seem to matter who the running back is. It doesn't seem to matter who the quarterback is. It doesn't seem well, necessarily they, matter even when the snaps are good. That was the first game where we started juggling a little bit of the line. Bando got in there yeah. in the second half at left guard, not left tackle, but left guard in place of Hicks. And I, I think a lot of it is want to. And 
about three weeks ago. We had a discussion on what are the things that we can hang our hat on. It was right after the Ohio State stuff. It was right around the eye formation and getting under center. What is it that we can just consistently do well? And right now, I know what the future vision of this offense is. I'm not jumping off the, the spread shotgun bandwagon. That's it's going to be what we're going to be for a good long while under Frost. But right now, I've seen a little bit of eye formation out of this year. Yeah. And to be honest with you, it's as consistent as anything I've seen us do. What else frustrates me, too, about the offense, it takes like one thing, just one thing, to derail an entire drive. If we get a penalty, sure. if we get a sack. You know, if, if, if any of those things happen, it's like, we are so fragile of an offense that we can't withstand any well, of our own issues. Like, I've seen other teams do I'll it. I'll tell I've you this. other teams overcome it. Dave, what's, what do you think maybe the weakest unit, aside from the O-line, which you're going to play five offense linemen no matter what your formation is, but what's the weakest unit you've seen on, on the offense? Uh, outside of the O-line, wide receiver. And it's not even, to me, even a close second. In fact, they keep talking about how they cannot find people to step up behind Wandell and behind J.D., and yet, when we get into these spread formations like that, what do you end up having about three or four of the guys on the field come from that unit that's struggling the most? And we keep saying we can't figure out ways to get tight ends on the field and all that. I know I'm a broken record with under center eye formation stuff, but that is an easy and simple way to get those units onto the field, get more physical, get more aggressive, and build your way, in, you know, earn the right to get into the shotgun. One of the things the wide receiving crew has to do better is block and maintain those blocks and that is and and not get caught for blocking in the back right you know at hockey the rapid reaction you you mentioned you know we're 14 nothing at half didn't look good but we actually did have some offensive drives that were productful in the first half we just couldn't finish them right a good example of that is where we have a play where wandell uh, makes a great individual performance and gets down to the four yard line but it gets called back because kind of noah uh, has a block in the back, which was completely unnecessary. Yeah, it didn't affect the play right. at all. And, and cost us a first and goal scenario. We have frustrating false starts and uh, sacks, all these mistakes that stop the drive. Minnesota didn't stop those first three drives. We figure out ways to stop them, right? Mm-hmm. There was a series that I, I tweeted out at the time. On first and 10, we got five yards. Second and five, awesome. We line up on second and five. And we get a five-yard pre-snap penalty. And, yep. and, and if I remember right, I think it was a receiver <laughs> that uh, did it. I don't know if it was lined up right, wrong or just, you know, jumped off. But now it's second and ten. So what do, what do we get on second and ten? Of course we get seven yards. Of course we get enough that would have given us a first down had it been six and second and five. But no, it's second and ten. So now we're in third and three. And on third and three, they rushed three or four, and that's all it took. And they ran over a couple of linemen. And we're playing on our heels, and we were in a pocket, and we're going to throw it, and we end up doing something incompletion, if I remember yep. correctly. And it's punt. And the point is, there's a part of me, and I would I would yell at the screen the same way when it was Riley coaching or whoever, let's attack the defense. Let's run it at them. But part of running it at them means getting guys like Dedrick Mills on the field to run it at them. I mean, there was a point in the first half, and we had brother-in-law John on with us on the Rapid Reaction on Saturday night. And brother-in-law John and I are sitting there talking about, like, Wandell is taking, it seemed like, snap after snap. He's getting it handed off to him. They're throwing it to him. Man, they are just using him every play. And at some point, the poor kid's going to wear out. And meanwhile, 
You know, we're trying to run in between the guards and tackles with Maurice Washington. I'm like, get Mills the in there. Running, Let's like, get physical. The way we were rotating running backs in there was fascinating. This last, I'm like, it seemed like we were really trying to get Mo involved earlier, just have him back there. And then at, at, at the cost of Diedrich Mills, we're still not putting Ramirez Johnson in. And you're right. Wandell's getting way too many carries back there, considering that we don't have another wide receiver that's actually producing anyway. Like that's a position yeah. that we need production out of. He is productive there, yeah. and yet we have to supplement him at the running back position, which is maddening because I, as far as I was told and understood, we have a Maurice, we have a Mills, we have a Ramir Johnson, Johnson. All, all these guys that are pretty – we've got Wyatt Missouri. You know, that we have other running threats. It's like, man, what kind of trouble will we be in without Wandell? <laughs> you just named three four-star running backs yeah. between Ramir, Mills, and Washington – and we can't find ways to get those guys into a rhythm so that we have to bring four-star Wandell over. We have four-star Martinez in the backfield until he gets injured. And the point is, it's like, we'll keep recruiting more talent and all that good stuff. But I'm just saying, there's a lot of good players that we've gone through back there. And why isn't it working? Maybe it maybe it falls back on that, that line. And, it, and that's true in times. But I just feel like, I know it's a small sample size, but what we did against Ohio State for literally one possession, we almost don't see it again with the inconsistency was yeah. we got under center and we just ran at them. It's a different eye formation than the, than the 90s. There's no sure. no one's going to mistake Dedrick Mills at fullback for, you know, a Macavicker or Schlesinger. It's a different style, but it's attacking, it's under center, it's fast, it's aggressive and it's simple for the for the O line. They're not doing a whole bunch of zone stuff. It's just attack guy yeah. across. I don't think there's enough depth of a playbook to kind of just stay in eye formation. I mean, I, I get that why we use it, but I mean you know, the heart and soul of this offense is shotgun. I mean, it is a spread attack. And that the, that's also a frustrating part of it, though. It's like we have this this system that we brought Frost in here for. We know he's a spread guy. We know he's an Oregon disciple. And yet I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you guys feel differently, it just seems like we've searched for an identity all year long offensively that I just didn't think we'd have any questions about. And you're right. So now we, now we do this I-formation stuff, which almost seems gimmicky to me. It's not It's not truly who we are. It's something we were, but not truly who we are. It's not something we've recruited to necessarily. And and so we're trying to do that in a way to spark an offense when I thought, geez, we need to spark our offense. Our defense has at least an attacking mentality. So, Mac, I, I, that's actually where I wanted to go a little bit. I understand where you're going, Honky, and um, you're always going to go there. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're, that's where they need to go, and maybe that's where they will go. I don't know. But another example of our offense actually clicking – um, besides the turnovers, was the Illinois game. And that's what I kind of expected a little bit more from this game with Minnesota. I thought maybe when we, we started relatively well on offense, we were going to get in a bit of a shootout. The weather didn't seem to be that big of a factor. And I was like, you know, this is going to go back and forth. And it didn't materialize. But let's focus on that Illinois performance a little bit there. Uh, because, hey, Minnesota had a good I mean, performance versus Illinois as well, but they only had... 490 yards of offense, and we almost had 700. Our offense clicked in that game, uh, and we can say Illinois was that bad, but I, I I don't know if Minnesota was that much different. You know, I guess you know what I'm saying. And and the offense worked against Illinois, Mac, and it just doesn't hasn't worked in almost any other game. No, it really hasn't, and and, and it's kind of funny too because even the Illinois game with the turnovers. We had 13- Mac, we had 13 chunk plays right. with Illinois. We've had 11 since. And even that game, though, Dave, it was like it was so hard to even appreciate the offensive performance because of the way we kept turning the ball over. And even that game, our most prolific offensive performance of the season, is still marred by this 
this issue with turnovers. But you, so you're right though. You think, okay, well, we clear that up. We get the snaps figured out. Well, then we're ready. I mean, everything's clicking now. And then you go immediately into Northwestern and it's, it's clunky. It's slow. There's no like sense of urgency from anybody. I mean, anybody. And from our perspective, we can talk ourselves out of it saying, Hey, Northwestern may have a really good defense, guys. Their offense is horrible, but their defense held Wisconsin to less yards, all those type of things. So we could get over it. But the Minnesota, loss in the performance is just feels so inexcusable, right? It's Hunk? perplexing. Mm-hmm. We've, we've scored 27 points since that Illinois game, and there's been three games. So right now I'm not looking. And for, our field position hasn't been horrible. No. And our turnovers in those three games. We haven't fumbled a ball in those three games. We haven't had turnovers in the last two. So there's signs that you, that you can show improving with. Obviously this last game, it's hit and miss from game to game, but the snaps have been good against uh, Minnesota. The snaps are good from Jurgens. Yeah. So that's a positive there, right? Just in general, when I say get under center, I don't just mean eye formation. I just mean under center. We were under center against Illinois for a few plays and, you know, got a touchdown run to Mills, you know, pitching out of it. My point is, is that we just seem to get some timing that's better under center, number one. And again, our offensive line, I want to see our line right now attack the other side, actually fire off and move forward against the defense as opposed to the opposite of playing on your heels it feels like 90% of our damn plays are teams with their, their ears are pinned back coming against us. And I want to see us go across the line of scrimmage, initiate contact, drive blocking. I mean, it, I'm oversimplifying it, but that's what I want to see. If, the, if you want to get to a point where you can start to hang your hat on something, if you can get five yards running up the middle on a team, and Frost talked over and over again about run game and, and being able to find that something. Mm-hmm. We need to be a more physical team. We need to be a smarter team. I don't, I don't like coaching a, a team that isn't the most physical on the football team, and we weren't. I give them a ton of credit. At the end of the day, if you can rely on a run game, you're going to put your team in good spots, and then everything else in your offense works. Honky, let's take that a, one step further. For the offensive line to be going forward, you know, firing out, does it have to be under center? Or, you know, we've talked about how this is Husker power and sure. an Oregon speed idea is like, Hey, can't that be done out of the shotgun and still fire off? I sure hope it can. Yeah, did UCF do that? I guess. Are you familiar with their offense? Did they? Did there was their line explosive and push people back five yards? I could think that would be a great example of what we would expect their line to they do. They were a lot. They played a lot in space, from what I saw. I yeah, mean, there was I mean, a lot of getting guys around outside tackles. They, they were not a physically dominating offensive line. They were very efficient. They were more like. A, Oh, I was thinking like the Broncos when they when they had Elway and those guys. They had those kind of small guys um, that were just really efficient. Zone blocking, yeah. zone blocking, well, cutbacks. I, kind of what actually what Minnesota did to us. Well, Minnesota the, did. That's classic. One cut go. Listen, we all can point to mistakes and, and and errors and things that were. We are starting a you know a freshman center who's never played center before and a new guard and this and that. But it's also frustrating that our tackle, or, you know, our right tackle is one of the issues that I continue to see on the offensive line. I haven't seen a ton of growth in. In certain positions, certain position groups on the offense, which is frustrating. So it's like, okay, yeah, get under center. Maybe that works because it looked like it worked a few times. But what if we do that a whole bunch? My feeling is then defenses would just adjust for that and shut that down. Well, so from our Plowboys barbecue and a mailbag of Corey from Facebook, I guess along those lines, Mac, I'm not sure you're going to this extent, but he said our O-line coach needs to go. Bring in an O-line coach that can teach. Mm. Right? Is that it? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> that's obvious. Bringing a guy who can teach. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this goes back to our PSA, but I, yeah, I think Corey is is he's saying he's, he's saying that a year and a half is enough time 
to evaluate <laughs> a guy who has uh, basically implemented a whole bunch of new guys to, to play that he never recruited. So, sure. What, how, can we play that PSA again or can we just <laughs> what, what, who are we talking to here? Let's send it to him. I understand the frustration though. Yeah. Because if you think, well, he can't even teach him to snap it. Well, he can't even snap it. It's the most simple. Well, it does look bad. But I, I, I'm sure it's not something Austin just has well, glazed over. This is the part. When I say about getting under center, too, is that when I say earn your right to get into the shotgun, if we can't get good snaps, we shouldn't be in shotgun. I said that a week ago before that game started. I said you have three choices. Get good at snapping the technique that you're using. Dave, you brought up a week ago trying a different technique. And the third thing is get under center. What I liked about getting under center when I've seen it is that we seem to fire off the ball more with that. Dave, I don't know that it matters that maybe maybe we should be able to fire off just as much out of the shotgun, but for whatever reason, I know that we're getting good snaps under center. It seems that the, the, the timing of plays have been better under that, and I'd like to just start to build something that works. Knowing that this doesn't have to be the offense that it looks like a year from now and two years from now and three years from now as you continue to get your players in there and work right. with them and all that. It's a bye week right now. Dave, we're going to talk about that more in Scarlet Colored Glasses and what does a bye week mean. But right now, one thing it does mean to me, Mac, is something that you just talked about with, with the right tackle or if there's anybody that's been having some struggles, is that this is an opportunity for some competition this week and next week. Not just heal guys up, but if there's a position that's been a problem or been an issue and sometimes in the middle of a seven-game stretch it's hard to, to make those changes, this could be a chance to do it. I'm not calling for any player right now to get benched. I'm saying let's compete and let's make sure that if there's somebody that still has a chance to play, that they, they can play here. So if you're talking competition, what do you think of Edrell's play this week? How would you rate that? I thought he I thought he looked fine. Yeah, he played fine. There's I don't have a single issue with, with Vedrill there. Um, I He played well enough for me to say if, if he's the healthier quarterback, he should start. Yeah. I, I don't think any of the root of our issues necessarily came from him. Do I think there's a controversy if Adrian's 100% and Vedrill's 100%? No. For, for you know, some of that game, I thought, okay, this could really get going here in a minute. But then the same issues crept yeah. up for him that crept, has crept up for Adrian. And, and like that to me is almost more upsetting or a little concerning going, is, is the offense still looked slow, looked sluggish, looked clunky, no matter who the quarterback was. And I just, I'm, I'm having a hard time really trying to wrap my head around the exact reason why it can't just be the snaps, right? It can't just be, well, it can't just be a new guard and a new center, right? It, well, it clearly wasn't the snaps last weekend, right. if, that, if that's the excuse there. One thing I thought maybe Vedral might bring that Martinez, you know, coming in the season, there was talk that, oh, he was trying to get too many big plays. He was looking too big. He wasn't just letting the offense flow under him. And, you know, Vedral's just going to step in and let the offense flow. He's just going to be such a experienced guy in the offense that he's just going to take what's given there. Right. And there wasn't a lot to take. And he was running into the same issues that Martinez was yep. running into. And all it did was validate to me, not to your point, Boomer, it's not about starting Vedral over him or not starting him. I don't really care who the QB is right now. They're both experiencing the exact same issues is what I kind of took away from it. They got pressure on us once with three-man rush, and honestly, I think we held and they didn't call it. You know, we got to give our quarterbacks more time. We got to get open better. Again, it it doesn't matter what scheme we're in. If those things aren't happening, you're not going to be real successful. Yeah, I I totally agree with that, Honk. I mean, I I don't think that the offense looked – any any better per se. You know, it'd be great to see some guys get back in there that the quarterback trusts. One guy that we did see came in late, Cade Warner, finally got some snaps yeah. in, and sure enough, three catches for 38 yards, right? The guy gets open, catches the ball, he's reliable. Um, that could make a big difference in 
two weeks here versus Indiana. If Adrian's back, he Absolutely. has K Warner as a, someone who he can always throw the ball to, um, might make a difference in this offense. Absolutely. I mean, I mentioned could earlier. Be a sneaky good. It could be a really sneaky good addition late in the year because we, you know, we all kind of wanted to, to glaze over Cade Warner in, in the offseason because we had all these new toys on offense, but, um, it, the reliability of the trust that Adrian or, or Vedral, but specifically Adrian would have in a guy who we played a whole bunch with last year. Um, we, we probably underestimated it. Yeah. I, mean, I brought him up a couple of weeks ago, but we were talking at the point we were talking about bigger receivers and he doesn't quite fit that. Nope. But he's still, he's big by the standard of the receivers we have right now. He catches the ball. He lines up right. He runs good routes. He's got a hell of a and beard. He, he can block. I mean, I don't really care right now what his 40 time is and I don't really care what his height is. He does all the things I'd want to see out of a receiver. So if you're going to get him on the field and he's healthy, and if you can tell me, okay, I can, we can find a healthy Wondell and we can find a healthy JD and we can throw Warner out there, now mm. I can start to talk about, yeah, you know what, I can see a three-wide receiver spread set that makes sense to me. Mm. But right now, if we're trying to get into four-wide receiver sets and we're struggling to get tight ends on the field and we're struggling to get physical and we're not putting Mills on the field and all those things and we want to be this physical offense – that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't compute to go because I don't see four wide receivers that, that right now should be on the field. They're not the ones that are bringing the physicality. We need to we need to get some of the personnel on the field that's going to help bring the physicality. And mm. we're not loaded with the, that personnel right, right now, but we have some that to me hasn't been well, playing. And, and the other thing too is like okay, in terms of this bye week and, and trying to get some guys up and developed and ready to go, we're going to run into the same problem next year. Okay, because none of these guys that are playing are big. You know, like we get Xavier Betts or Xavier Betts coming in. So we're going to count on another true freshman to come in and make a humongous impact. I mean, that's so rare. We yeah. need to get some of these guys up and ready to go to see what we have going into next year because we're already going to be behind it. We're not going to improve that much at wide receiver next year. Yeah. So uh, on that thought, guys, uh, the, the hockey, I thought that was interesting. You said, like, you know, I feel good about like a three receiver set there. And we think about the offense last year and at the, the late in the year, you know, how we were utilizing Maurice Washington seemed to be different than how we've utilized him almost all of this year. And the Iowa game in particular, where he was a, such a dangerous receiver out there, um, I could imagine a you know scenario where he, he motions out and he becomes that fourth receiver, right? And you do have Mills in the background. Mac, I mean, could we start seeing maybe a little bit of that, especially if we feel better about, it, say, uh, Cade Warner now back in the mix? It is, that's exactly what I was going to say, Dave. Honestly, I was – he's one. He's mm-hmm. long. He's rangy. He's fast. He's not a huge fan of getting hit a lot. Yep. He's already got kind of a, you know, the wide receiver <laughs> kind of, uh, what do you call that? Um, not prima donna, but eccentricities. Yeah. You know, he, to say. He, he, he's just, he's just kind of a little off like that, but he's super explosive and he is absolutely a guy who can take the top and off. He's a proven wide receiver. I love that idea. And you, and you mentioned it, Mac, that, you know, he's run between the tackles for us mostly the last couple of games. Right. You know, he wants to break it out all the time. Anyways, if you really want to see his speed shine, line him up, he, you know, motion him out, line him up out there and let him fly. He's, he's a rare body type as a running back. He, he, he just doesn't look like a lot of your typical, I don't care, college or pro level. They're just not built like that. He is built far more like a wide receiver. And, you know, very long arms, nice big hands, you know, long legs, super good jumping ability. I, I mean, I think it's a natural push. And the fact is, we lack in that position a ton. So he's, he's, he already knows all the plays. He probably already knows all the positions. Send him deep, take the top off. It allows Wandell to be back there. Let's get Ramir going. Let's get Diedrich Mills going. 
and start using some of the tools that we have. You know, so yeah, Dave, I love that idea. Um, I might just take to Twitter right now and see if I can get some changes out there. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's the influence that we are, right? Right. So it's time to throw the bones. We didn't have very disciplined eyes on defense on a couple plays and uh, gave them some easy throws. We were lucky they dropped one because the guy was completely uncovered. Uh, But again, it it goes back to me that they were running three or four run schemes. We knew what they were going to be coming in. They ran them um, and they worked. And uh, when those things happen, you got to bring more people up into the box to try to get the run stopped. And then all the other stuff works off it. All right, guys, let's uh, throw the bones here and talk about our defensive performance uh, on Saturday night. And, you know, we just heard that quote from Scott Frost that was from the uh, press conference on Saturday night after the game, talking about how Minnesota was able to effectively run the ball uh, right down our throats. And, you know, he had another quote um, at today's press conference talking about how much he, he, I think he watched the game like six different times at this point already. And um, he was, you know, noticed that defensive line didn't actually get uh, manhandled as much as maybe we we felt. And we actually mentioned this on the on the rapid reaction again hockey on Saturday night that the push wasn't that dramatic. It was what what happened after that initial uh, kind of line of scrimmage action, whereas the Minnesota running backs would often cut back against uh, the defensive line. And it was the run fits that Frost mentioned. There are linebackers not coming up and, and being in the right positions that were causing a lot of those big runs. Uh, have you seen similar, I guess, as you watched the, the film? Yeah, it really goes right back to what we were saying at the rapid reaction at that time. What I was watching during the game live, it didn't look our, like our D-line was just getting blown off the ball. This wasn't Iowa from a year ago where you had you know five yards of push from the O-line consistently play after play. In fact, there were times we were getting into the backfield even. Uh, One of the first long runs of the first quarter, it looked like we had the guy dead in the backfield, and then he just kind of cut out of it, and there was nobody to fill, and the guy went off for 45 yards. So, I mean, we had D-line penetration at times, and this is something we'll get into this conversation here on defense, but, I mean, I've got some suggestions for the D, and and it requires maybe a bye week of work to do, but I – I think that the D line isn't the the heart of the issue right now. You know, with the defensive line, they did an they did a pretty good job of moving the line of scrimmage horizontally, not necessarily vertically. Backers, back seven, back eight, whatever, did not come up and fill, and that was kind of a that's not been the case all year long. So I, that was a little surprising to see, and I don't think Minnesota's skill position was as such that that should have been the difference, but it was. But I mean, it just kind of goes back to who's more comfortable in their offense it feels like sometimes we're just chasing our tail on some of this stuff and some of these other teams have already figured it out. And, 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 and we ran into it this week. Hey, uh, Boomer, you were at the game. Uh, you know, Minnesota didn't have that much running success prior to the, the Illinois game, really. Before that, they were not that good at all. Even I've, I've heard the stats today on some of the radio shows. I think we still actually rank above Minnesota in rushing yards per game, which is, which is crazy, right? Considering what they did to us. Did the Minnesota fan base have any inkling that this this run game performance was coming? Were they confident they were going to run the ball against us? Well, all six Minnesota fans that were present in the stadium, <laughs> I, they were more concentrated on you know which beer they were getting during the game. Uh, and I, no, they, they I don't think they were expecting quite the success they'd seen. 
because how could you, you know, being the Gophers fan, they'd struggled to run the ball against, you know, South Dakota State and Georgia Southern and Fresno State. Yeah, they'd had success against Illinois, but, you know, that could have easily been an outlier. And I don't think they were really expecting to be able to run the ball quite as well as they did. I think they thought, you know, just the conversations I had with the group sitting in front of me and the, the two sitting behind me as, you know, I was the last Husker fan left in the stadium. <laughs> they thought they'd be able to move the ball a little bit, but, you know, especially with the large offensive line they had, they thought they had an opportunity to move the ball. And I, I think it worked better than they anticipated. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, post game, I think PJ Fleck, you know, they saw what we were vulnerable to. I think, well, like he said, I think his post game pressure was that if he could get us running sideways and our linebackers wouldn't be able to, to get in position and, and fits. And mm-hmm. we weren't able to do that. And the few times we were, their running backs would just seem to break out of nowhere would be the strangest thing. It looked like they would be stopped, you know, a couple of yards in, and then the next thing you know, they're getting six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven yards. I think the first half, what were they averaging, like 11 yards a run? Yeah, it was. Wow. If I remember right, I mean, good God, how do you, you know, you can't compete with that, and that's that was the, the worst part about the game for him. It was just the defense just not mm. being in a position to stop their running game. Yeah, I give you a lot of crap, Boomer, for not wearing red, but you stick to the end of every game. I'll always give you that credit. You never leave early. And I do want to mention, you know, Mac, you mentioned it earlier. You know, you talked about the back seven or the back eight. And that's actually a really important number here because we are a 3-4 right now. Mm. And, again, I, I'm i not disagreeing with the, the long-term future vision of this defense. And this defense can be the greatest 3-4 in the country a year and two and three years from now. All that good stuff. But right now, I'm going to go back to kind of what I said on offense with wide receivers. We go and we line up with four wide receivers and we go spread. And I'm like, that's not our strongest position group. And we're putting the most of them on the field. And I look at our defense right now and our strongest unit is our D-line. And I'd rather see four guys out there right now. I'd rather see a 4-3 than a 3-4 in terms of just pure personnel. And by the way, I'm not saying something that's groundbreaking Shenander on the preseason show for the Big Red Wrap Up, he talked about you know that we'll be multiple. We'll run three man lines and four man lines. So this we is, should I'm, try to get him on here. Yeah, just to, just see what he wants. To well, say what I'm this. saying is that he's not. This isn't crazy talk to say that we should get into some four man lines. In fact, that's part of our defense already. And in a bye week scenario, maybe it's a chance to get some more of that out there. I'd rather see four defense linemen on the field than three and having four linebackers I, that I can't come up with four that are consistent. Play after play after play that yeah. I want to see there. I, I get what you're saying too, and I, schematically we can look at some stuff. I that's fine. We want to shuffle some things around. That's great. We got to play harder. We got to play better. I mean, we just and that's offense, that's defense, that's sure. special teams. It's it. You know, we can shuffle this around. We can try to scheme our ways out of this. At the at the end of the day, we're gonna have to play a lot harder and just make football so plays. So you want to you want to play harder for a second. No fear of failure. You know what? There's some young guys out there that might fail in some specific areas of not knowing a play or this or that, but Garrett Nelson and Caleb Tanner, when I see them on the field, they play hard. They get in the backfield. They may make a mistake, but then the next play they're they're in the backfield making a play. And I've seen some of their older counterparts Maybe they know the position better, Maybe but I'm just that. not seeing the plays being made. And so what I'm getting at is that Okay, if it's an effort thing, then I've got some list I, of some guys that maybe in the over the course of a bye week need to start getting on the field more. Yeah. We need we need that effort out of those guys. We need a spark plug. Did you see Garrett Nelson get in there in the fourth quarter and the guy is just all over the place? Now, is he going to make mistakes? Absolutely, but no fear of failure, and you're not going to get better not taking snaps. Yeah. I'm not the one saying that. These are things that our coaches have said. 
So I'm repeating these guys, and I'm saying we've got some guys that maybe deserve some opportunities out there. If you're going to tell me that, then maybe maybe the scheme change isn't as necessary. But right now, I can name you six or seven D linemen I don't mind seeing out there on the field, and I don't know that I can always name four linebackers. And when we line up in a 3-4, yeah. you better have four linebackers. Yeah. I mean, it's some, is it the four-game redshirt rule here on some well, of those maybe, guys? maybe some of it too, but, man, let's just figure out what we got going for next year. Let's see where we're at and, and see what these guys can do. I mean, I feel like it's going to be tough, and we're going to win. try to win as many games as we can, but we're out of the West. You know, we're not winning. We're not going to Indianapolis. Yes. Okay, let's let's double down on our efforts. I kind of feel like this Ireland trip was almost a way to get Adrian to stay for a fourth year. You know, it's like, all right, don't go pro just yet. We're going to keep, we're going to Ireland. Maybe it's the rest of the schedule. We'll still push them out. I don't know about that. Uh, you know, guys, I was looking at the roster earlier today and uh, it, there is guys out there. I mean, like David Olson's a, a name that I, I popped up. The like guys that we recruited and we were excited when we got him haven't heard, you know, uh, hide nor hear of these guys yet. And at some point uh, we need to start seeing some of those guys start to get on the field and and see how they can they can play because uh, we knew the outside linebacker position was going to be one of the most difficult things to transition to the three four yep. and it, it's really been a long haul to, to get there. Yep. All right, I think we're uh, close to wrapping up the defensive breakdown, but uh, let's let's uh, attack special teams here a little bit. Boomer, uh, not a whole lot to talk about here, but we did have a, a couple of flubs um, both on the punt and kick return. And, uh, you know, I'm just getting frustrated with some of those guys making some some mental errors, I feel like, in the sense of, um, you know, it, with a punt, like with J.D., I mean, if it's over your head and you're standing at the 10, shouldn't you just let it go, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the advisable thing to do at that point. Don't go back, try to catch it, especially in those kind of conditions when the ball's slippery. It's, you know, you looked up and it was like watching a snow globe come down at you. It, it's hard to catch a ball at that point, just... You let it go at that point. If they can down it at the two or whatever, great. You know, what are you going to do? And odds are good it's going to bounce in the end zone. Unlike when we tried to, to field that punt and we whiffed and, uh, gosh, I can't remember who it was, landed on his back and wasn't able to get back up to it and roll into the end zone. I mean, that's going to happen in those cases. Yeah, that and, was a Stovall, I yeah. think. You're right. Yeah, he was really yeah, close yeah, to getting right. that. that's right. Yeah, one. I mean, that's that was a disappointing play on that. I mean, you, you can't fumble it and just, you know, hope to recover it there. We got lucky on the on the one we fumbled on the kickoff and where on our touchdown drive, actually, the one drive we did get. They, they went back and reviewed it and overturned it. That's and, right. It, yeah, and again, this was just another example of a week when you saw with without having a – any sort of kicking game you can rely on, you end up having to punt, you know, in, in Minnesota territory and sort of going for field goals to try to get any points whatsoever, or you try a fourth down, you know, fake to try to rejuvenate the offense. And it kind of looked like the Gophers had that snuffed out. Yeah. It's just another example of, you know, without a special teams game that we can kind of rely on, you're stuck either going for it on fourth down, and we weren't able to convert a single one of them, and yeah. trying to do some gimmicky I things. Don't, that, I don't know uh, the stats there, but I think. You know, we only have four field goals made this year, which might be about the lowest. Yeah, they're not good. Yeah, we're not good at in, field goal in power yeah, five. That, that puts you in a bind. Not yeah. all division one, and you're right. I mean, the, the several of those drives uh, might have played out differently if you had a field goal kicker that could make something beyond forty yards. And then we did have that 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 fake punt that just totally failed. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot of frustration there. Um, but it, it was the least of our problems, I suppose, over the course of the entire game. But uh, nonetheless, not, not a good grade. 
And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. <laughs> Football's so great. But now, the two conference champs must survive a harrowing bye week that no one enjoys. Bye weeks? Bronco Nagurski didn't get no bye weeks. And now he's dead. Well, maybe they were a good thing. All right. Well, it is definitely bye week. Uh, we get two of them this year. And this is the first one. And uh, it's a little bit late coming, it feels like. I wish we would have had it last week, but that's not the case. Uh, it is an opportunity to hopefully heal up uh, some of our, our key players, like Adrian Martinez, and hopefully discover a offensive identity in the next 10 days or so. Um, Honky, you want to start this off by uh, just kind of talking about what you expect over the bye week? Yeah, well, we talked about it a little bit earlier, just about getting healthy, number one. Uh, actually, that takes me to a Plowboys barbecue and a mailbag question from Mike and Marty. They likes to potty. Yeah, from they Facebook. Cause trouble. They don't bother nobody. Just some red casters on the mic. That's right. Uh, <laughs> their question is: Do you know the status of our injured players? And it's good that we have a bye week coming up. Love you, Honey Bunny. Oh, crap. Oh, mom, mom, mom. Forty-two years Did old. You mom, find your draws. Yeah, I'm a man. I'm a man. <laughs> Anyways, mom. I mean, Mike and Marty. <laughs> random people on Facebook. Do we know the status of injured players? Well, Coach Frost isn't going to tell us that. So Neither will we. And neither will that, we. That so. is a red cast policy. So that is not something. But the <laughs> fact that you know they talk about it's good that we have the bye week coming up to get players healthy. If they are injured, yes, that's very true. First of all, I want to get healthy. Um, there's several guys nicked up. Several guys have been playing through a lot of things. I think the guys need to get away for a little bit and recuperate mentally and physically. But when we come back, the basics of what we do need to be better. And Dave, we obviously looked like a tired team last weekend. So this is a perfect time for the bye week. You know, one of the things that that I've thought about heavily when it comes into this is that we talk about guys that are redshirted or not redshirted, and we have this four-game redshirt rule. And I think we've all agreed it's one of the best additions by the NCAA of, of rules in the last few years, mm. that it's it's good for the players and all that. But I think coaching staffs are starting to struggle with how to incorporate players into it. Because in the in the olden days, you played them or you didn't. It yep. was as simple as that. On day one, if you played them in the first game, they're not redshirted and you, you can just play them. Yeah. And in my mind right now, if Ben Hart, I'm going to use him as an example. If Ben Hart is a right tackle that we think is ready to go, we've got five games right now to play six. We need to win two games of five to get a sixth game, to get an extra spring ball of practices for a bowl game, yep. to get to a bowl game for the first time since 2016. We have five games to earn a sixth. And if there's somebody that can help us get there, number one, get them on the field. Yep. And number two, as we look forward to next year, could you imagine having your right tackle of the future starting next season with six games yeah. under his belt? Think of the struggle that our center had this year starting from scratch on game one. That was his first live snap in a game. Well, imagine if we can start to get a couple of guys onto the field a little bit earlier here. We're not playing for the West mm -hmm. Championship right now. We know that. We got five games to play six. Forget the redshirt rule. If somebody can play, let's get him out yeah. there. You mentioned Ramirez yeah. Johnson yeah. a well, number they, they, of times. They, and running back such a great example of it, too, because that, that was one of those things that's like – Typically, if you were of, of, of a quality or a caliber running back, you never redshirted. You you would yeah. play and you you'd get your snaps and you you know eventually you'd see your role kind of increase as the year went on, particularly as as players went down. And I feel like Ramir Johnson is almost a victim of this four game rule because it, he would definitely have been a guy that had got a ton of reps 
you know, this year if it, if it weren't for this sort of – and I get it too. It's, it's a new rule. You're trying to figure out how you're going to implement yep. this, how you're going to use it to your greatest advantage. This staff is nothing if they're not – you know, they're tactical. You know, they're very, very thoughtful mm-hmm. in how they go forward on this. But there's just there's no there's no playbook. Yeah, on this I'm yet. not I'm not knocking our staff yeah. right now. By the way, this is a yeah. struggle I think a lot of coaching staffs are having, Dave. Which is how do I incorporate that player? Because it is a great advantage when your helmet flies off against Northwestern. You can put McCaffrey in there for one game yeah. and one play and not worry about losing an entire year. It is still a very positive rule, but it also hamstrings some. Where, where you want to fit somebody into four games and you want to be as yeah. strategic as you can, and then life happens around it, you. Injuries it also opens stuff. you up as a coaching staff for one more area of criticism from a fan base, too. Because just yeah. like you said, McCaffrey going in for one helmet being lost. I'm like, oh, we blew it. You know, he got a game. It's a waste of, it's a waste of his four games. I'm like, well, it might not matter. You know, it yeah. might not matter. And had it been more than a, a few snaps, it might have been cooler, but. Well, I, yeah. And I think in that specific example, I think it's a good, Thing, I mean, they threw the guy out there that should be, and then this last game. They well, I mean, did, you could have they, been bunch in there and, and sure. been fine and kept the four games, but it does. It just to sort of, it's it's just one more thing for yeah. the Twitter sphere to kind of hang on to. My, my thing right now is we've got five games left that we know we definitely play, and if we do well enough in those five games, which means basically win two, but we have to win two of those five to get to six. Six gets you a sixth game, and if you can do that, Dave, I. I and you can do that with any anybody you can play. Play them now. Yep. I wouldn't hold anybody back. We, we, we've got to get seen. So, Go ahead, Dave. Mac, we, we talked about this uh, coaching staff. And, and, again, this is across the country. This is not the Nebraska coaching staff trying to be strategic about how to use the four-game rule here. So we have five games to play six, to Honky's point, And you need to win two of them. And we have someone like Ben Hart or Johnson already with one or two games off of that. Would you s- – Focus on trying to win the next two games, which are two "quote unquote" winnable games, by introducing Ben Hart, for example, Ramir Johnson, others into the lineup, and try to win these two. Knowing that you may not play them for Wisconsin and Iowa, or do you save some of these guys for Wisconsin and Iowa? So, I mean, Mike, I guess my question is: Do you use the the freshman in the more winnable games or the more challenging games in the next five? To me, it all boils down to is is what gives us the best chance to win those games? So if if it's playing the freshman against a Wisconsin and Iowa, uh, maybe put us in a position that we're more susceptible to mistakes or or, or uh, just bad play, then no. But but if they're good enough to get them implemented and see what they can do with these next couple of games to get to that bowl eligibility, maybe it allows us to sit a couple of our more primary guys even a little bit longer or get healthier depending on you know who's dealing with what? I don't know. I'm just speculating a little bit. Let's say at, at, at JD, for example, we get to rest him a little bit more, or maybe maybe one of our linemen's more dinged up than we realize, and so we get to use a Ben Hart for, like you said, Dave, a more winnable slate of games coming up as, as opposed to the end of the season. That absolutely, it's worth it. Go in. We've got no reason to hold back anything for the season, and I don't give a crap about three years from now when I go, man, I wish we had him for one more year. Mm-hmm. Forget that. That's not how we should be yeah. recruiting. That's not how should we be Hey, developing. Boomer, do we have a, a coach on staff that's got this tally, obviously, of making sure that no one goes in over the four games? Well, God, I hope so. And, and if we he don't, stands right next to the time management guy. Boom. Yeah, the time management coordinator that we've been pitching for years. I, I'm more than happy to do that. I'm very affordable, and I, I have a clipboard. I'll bring it myself. But I, I think to your question, Dave. I think if you're gonna look for four games to play players in, you look for games like Indiana, Purdue, 
and Maryland. You don't play. You don't want to burn a redshirt against the the Wisconsin's. I don't think any of us have any illusions at this point of beating Wisconsin. I do. So why burn Just, a redshirt at that point? But I'm big on <laughs> right, There's the one guy who's yeah. There's somebody who does. But you know, at that point, if you're going to play these guys, let's play them against teams that we think they may have an impact on that we can you know compete with and possibly win. And you're setting yourself up for next year. And this is the opportunity to do that. Let's let's do that here. Why you know why waste a redshirt against a in a game you you don't think you're going to win? And to be honest with you, I don't look at anything as wasting redshirts if you're giving guys that are going to be part of your future getting them meaningful snaps against good teams. If a guy gets his butt beat against Wisconsin, but he's getting better because of it, and he's going to be a guy that's playing for you for three years, I don't mind him being out there because to your point there, Mac, I don't know three years from now or four years from now I'm that worried about Ben Hart not being on the team because. We burned his red shirt because by then you have Corcoran and by then you have Prochaskin. By then you have a three or four other guys I won't be able to pronounce their names either. Mm. And the point is, is that this team's issue right now has been about that there's this gap. And we talked about the, the, the recruiting class from two or three years ago where more than half of it's basically gone. And we just have this gap of depth. And when we're not playing the younger guys to even help supplement that depth, we just end up playing the same yep. group of, Burn them down. Of, of dudes. We're burning them down. And, and we've got some guys there. And you know what? We have five very, very meaningful games that can earn a sixth. And I don't look at it as burning anybody's red shirt. If Ben Hart goes out and plays six full games, you know, yeah, it would have been great that we would have got him in the first half of the season. But you know what? If he plays six full games and – He's the starter next year. It's not a wasted redshirt. Honky, do you feel that it's it's possible because of the four-game rule that they've held back someone like uh, Bryce Benhart who otherwise they would have just – he would have been starting in week two or three or whatever. But because of the four-game opportunity, they've held him back longer than expected. Because I guess my, my question mm-hmm. there is is that and the starters are starters for a reason, typically. Yep. We often love to think about who's behind them and why they're going to be better. Correct. But the reality is starters are starters. Dave, that's a great question. It's a very fair question. And to your absolute point there, if Austin came out tomorrow and said, you know, Ben Hart's just not ready, okay, then I get that too. Um, I'm going off of a couple of things. I'm going off of since, you know, since – Farniak's been here. All we've been told about is that he's more a guard than a tackle, right? right. Since the second that Benart said he was coming here, we were told this guy's an instant contributor, yeah. an instant stud, instant star, right? So what I'm getting at is that I'm not expecting him to come onto the field at right tackle and dominate games as a true freshman. But if he can go out there, hold his own, huh. and it moves Farniak maybe into his rightful position, maybe a guard position gets a little stronger. Yeah. And in a way that, you know, you're strengthening one position is maybe you're you're slightly weakening another, but you're building depth towards the future. Then what I'm saying is this is the time of the year to look at it. I mean, the whole point of this conversation yeah. is, is it's a bye week. This is a chance to try what? something. And the one thing that I think that this team offensively, defensively, everything needs is just some sparks. Yeah, We looked tired. Yeah. We looked like the same group of guys that had been out there for seven straight weeks. They just looked slower than they looked seven weeks ago. <laughs> well, and, and we talked about this. We talked about this in the preseason when we were kind of going over this four-game rule then and, and trying to, you know, kind of project and see what we thought, you know. I think with the big guys, defensive line, offensive yeah. line, we all kind of thought that, you know, later in the year is when this this particular rule could shine. 
you know, because it gives them a little bit more time in the program, a little bit more time with the offense, a little bit more time to get bigger and 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 see what's happening. So, like, this is the time to get those guys in there, get their feet wet, see what they can withstand, see what they can produce, and then you have some answers on what you need to address going into the offseason. Like, okay, you're clearly weak upper body and and you were getting Mm. mowed down or your hips are, you, you know, you've got bad hips. Where I think it hurts is is those skill guys. I think like like maybe we would have seen a Nance. Maybe we see Houston. Maybe we see more of Ramir Johnson. Maybe and same on defense too. Like is it time to see Noel Gates? Is it is it sure. is it time to see Quentin Newsom play a little bit more? I'm not even saying the back seven's playing that bad. I'm just saying, but this is that point of yes. the year where all right. Listen, we've got this rule. We've got these four games. Get them in there. Let's see what we got going on because that will kind of will direct. Your off-season programming, and it'll direct your recruiting. Yeah. It directs a lot of stuff just by knowing who do you have, what what do they look like on the field. And part of this is you do have to be strategic with position groups and how you do this. I wouldn't advocate right now pulling a a Ty Robinson or Jakeem Green out of the D line and and burning a redshirt there. There's no need. I don't see the need out of the D line. We've got we have uh, you know six deep, and and several of these guys are going to be seniors. We're going to be losing them. Yeah. Look at our offensive line as an example. There isn't a single senior on that crew right now. So it's concerning. Every, so every well, well, it depends, right? It, that's kind of part no, of the, it's. That's part of the. That's part of the joke, right? It's like, hey, everyone's back. You're you're going to be great, and yet there's a certain segment of people looking at that, going, "Well, geez, I kind of that it struggled so much. I'd rather see two or three new guys." Well, the point is, is that this is an opportunity. If you think Ben Hart's going to be a starting right tackle next year, if you believe that then I would say it's not a bad thing to get him on the field this year. Now, if you feel like next year, Farniak's still going to beat him out. He's a fifth-year senior. You know, Ben Hart, let him get a few games in next year, and then, boy, he's really going to be dominant as a redshirt sophomore. If that's what you believe, too, or if that's what the coaches feel, then I guess wait for that, too. But what I'm getting at is that I get the sense that a lot of people think that Ben Hart's going to be the guy next year. And if he is, get him that experience now. It is not wasted moments. Mm. I, I spent a lot of time talking about one player, and I didn't mean it just to be about him. There are other players that, that fit the bill, too. Here's the thing. I'm going to ask you another question. This is from the Plowboys Barbecue and a mailbag as well. This came from Law, Politics, and Football on Twitter. He said, did each of you see a Nebraska team that quit on Saturday? He goes, I have patience for development, recruiting, scheme, culture, and process, but quit is worrisome. To me, it speaks of coaching or locker room issue, which scares me. So to me, I take that question, and I don't. I don't necessarily – I understand where you're coming from, law, politics, and football. I didn't see a team that quit. I saw a team that looked tired. That's what a bye week's about. It's rejuvenation. It's also an opportunity to get more bodies on the field so they're not so tired in two and three and four and five weeks again. It builds you some depth. But I guess I will ask you that since he asked it. Did anybody see quit? Generally speaking, no. I I feel like they were far more competitive than we've seen other games of this nature in previous years. Uh, there is a couple examples. I, I remember watching the game and it might've been the last Minnesota touchdown where uh, Des Muke, uh gave a very, you know, soft effort at the goal line to actually make a tackle. And you know, what I really noticed was on when Maurice Washington boomer, when he fumbled that kickoff and, and frost was not happy with his team at that point, And he was yelling at him, Run off the field, run off the field. Um, yes. they did actually seem to respond. I mean, Frost does not show a lot of emotion out there, right? And he, they did seem to respond and, and that put together their only good drive, uh, completed drive of the, the game. Uh, your sense actually being in the stadium just from the, you know, body language on the sideline, et cetera. 
yeah, I, I don't know if it was like a, a team effort quit kind of thing. I mean, there were players that still were putting effort out there. I mean, Wandell was putting effort into this until he was injured. And, you know, Vedral was putting effort into it until he kind of got hobbled, you know, later in the game. And he, heck, even Bunch was, you know, trying when he was out there. Again, I think a lot of it was just the everyone just seemed to be out of position and out of whack, and Minnesota had a game plan that worked for what we weren't really able to defend well, and I think it kind of demoralized everybody, and it just kind of fed into that some of the doubts that they that the Nebraska team has had for for years now and multiple coaching staffs, and that kind of reared its head again. So I don't know if it was so much quit; it was just kind of a, a team that was well coached and ready to take advantage of us, and, and they were able to do that. Mac, I didn't see any quit. I almost feel like this is a team that looks too much at the coaching staff for what to do next. I, I, some, I, I feel like we lack a little bit of a, let's just go out there and ball. It's like we're always constantly looking for the sideline for our answers. I'm like, well, what do I do now, coach? Hmm. Make the that's Make true. the damn tackle is what you do. You, you, you <laughs> go up there and you smoke that guy. That's what you do. What, like, like, go block that guy. Go, you know, juke that guy. That's what you do. Stop looking over me for the yeah. perfect play. Make a play and, and let's do that. And I feel like sometimes maybe that's the nature of the offense and the defense too. Cause everybody's a, you know, check with me. Everybody looks over at the poster boards and everybody looks at these guys doing signals at some point. The team has to take ownership of their play on the field and go play on the field. And so it's not so much quit. It's more like lack of, you know, on-field direction and lack of on-field ownership that I see, you know, is that, is that, is that a recruiting deficiency? Is that, is that a lack of, of, of leadership development? I don't know, but that's just kind of what I see, but it's not quit. It's not yeah. quit and it's not want to. It's, it's, it's more of a process of how do you learn to lo- to win? A concern I did have, you know, like Honky had said, that we hadn't had a bye week, you know, and everyone else in the Big Ten has, and we'd look tired. I guess, you know, one concern I do have, I mean, last year, we didn't, we ended up without a bye week at all. And we were playing our best football in the second half of the season. And I guess I would just kind of wonder, why do you think that is? Yeah, I well, mean, our bye week is Bethune-Cookman, which I guess is kind of a bye, but we look better by the second half Well, of the Boomer, season. I guess kind of maybe to Mac's point there about how I think maybe some of the leadership on the field, even though we had only a freshman quarterback last year, that quarterback wasn't asked to be a leader. The nope. leaders on the offense were were Morgan and, and Azigbo, and we had some established guys that had been around for a while. And I think that did help drive some of that, on at least on the offensive well, side. That's a great, great point, though, because Morgan's a guy who would go out there and make a play. He wasn't physically that gifted. He didn't get drafted, but he would go make a play. Devino wow. Zigbo, another didn't great example. Drafted. He didn't get drafted. He didn't wow anybody so much physically that, that they took him out of hand. He was a guy who knew how to go out there and make his own plays, and we do miss that this year. Yeah, and I am I appreciate your guys' answer to that question. And, and again, law, politics, and, and football, I think it's a good question you ask about the quit part because I've heard this and I've read this a number of times since Saturday. I, I've never believed that. This didn't feel like an effort thing. And when I say that, an effort thing is what I saw in 2017. Right. You know, where we would just play somebody that we should never get blown out by. And, well, heck, when we played Minnesota at Minnesota the last time, there there were quit moments there. Yeah. That wasn't what this was. This is, there were moments this was bad football. We've got to call that out. And there were moments where we looked tired, and we have to call that out. And if somebody wants to ask the question of, you know, I thought we've worked on strength and conditioning, and we shouldn't get tired after seven games, that's a valid, fair question. I don't know why we got 
we looked so lethargic. But Frost was calling it out even last week, and it was the intro to our, our show last week, was Frost saying, we have a bye week next week, so we need to empty the tank against Minnesota. I think he was seeing it. He was seeing it a week ago that we have to empty the tank this week. And part of the question could be, why did, why did we have to empty the tank so much? What was the, why were we mm. so tired? But part of me says we didn't have the depth. And that's where I'm saying moving forward, if you want to add to that depth, start playing some guys that haven't played yet. Yeah. Do you, you feel like the team sometimes has felt the pressure of the fan base? Absolutely. You know, um, the pressure of being a blue blood fan base, expecting a really great season and just not able to, to deliver. We've had several people bring that up to us on social media. And I'll tell you what, and the red cast, the four of us, we are guilty of just we break down everything into the finer detail too. And there's a moment where I just want to tell players, hopefully you aren't listening to us right now. Don't listen to us. <laughs> if you're following us on Twitter, stop. Don't do it. Like, just have some fun. Play football. Don't feel the, the weight of a state on your shoulder. You guys are too young to be trying to hold 1.9 million people and the rest of the millions of Husker fans all across the country on your shoulders. Stop. Yeah, there's, it's, there's been moments this year where we just, we have just played tight. Yeah. Just tight. And it, it, it's like, it's unreasonable for us to play tight. We should not. I mean, I get the, the, the preseason accolades or whatever you want to call them, the hype that was yeah. around us. You know, you try to live up to that. But the, the fact of the matter is we won four games last year. I don't understand the the tightness of oh, this team. By the way, we w- that last year's team would have beat us by 20 points. I keep well, getting, I mean. I keep seeing that too. Granted, we're four and three, and a year ago we were one and six. Right. But that's. Yeah, the recency bias on that one is extraordinary, right? I mean, how many how many turnovers and penalties and, and um, you know uh, errors that that team brought upon itself for two plus months until they finally started to figure it out uh, is is interesting, right? And sure, by the end of the year that offense looked a lot better, but boy, it took a long time to get there. All right, you know, I, I do want to I do have an extra Redcast question, Honky, and I'll say it's. Um, from uh Redcast Randy. Actually, this is my my buddy from uh Fort Worth, Texas who actually is um from Alabama. So talk about two uh hotbeds of football and he actually uh went to Pelham High in Birmingham, which is uh Dabo Sweeney's um oh, high school nice. actually. He actually was a few years ahead of Dabo, knows uh Dabo and his brother quite well. Um he he's been listening to the show He's now a fan of the Redcast, Sweet. even though he's an Auburn uh, fan. And he, he uh, asked me this question. He's like, another good show. Y'all <laughs> were dominant in football, but y'all talk like you can't compete with the elite on your show. Get some better swagger going. Texas sucks, but they still have it when they talk about their football team. <laughs> Uh, well, Redcast Randy, I think it's a great uh, point in the sense that I feel like what we've been talking a little bit tonight and uh, poking fun at ourselves and some of our, our, you know, the Twitter that we see and, and this this reaction to having another loss like this to Minnesota, it's easy to say like, well, gee, Randy, it's because we lose to Minnesota 34 to 7 that we don't have swagger. But Mac, you've made this point that uh, we shouldn't be small Mm-mm. uh we as a fan base there's very few blo- blue blood fan bases out there we're one of Correct. them and all of them have gone through a, a downturn at some point notre dame 
had some really bad years, mm-hmm. right? Alabama, really bad years. Um, some like Penn State has gone through some very difficult, horrifying times. times really, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Texas has been down for a decade, mm-hmm. and they're finally getting there. And it it is a unique situation, and our fan base uh, struggles with this almost bipolar disorder of being a blue blood and trying to act like it, and sometimes having Big Ten fan bases take offense to that, um, but then be humbled uh, with losses like this week. And uh, sometimes we do need to take a step back, I think, and remember who we are Mm -hmm. and act like the Blue Blood program that we are. Correct. Is that fair to say? What do you think? It's a difficult little balance to have there because on one hand, yes, I'm just not going to consider Minnesota. I'm not going to consider Purdue, Indiana. I I would go so far as to say Iowa. I'm not going to put them in the same category. Now, I cannot also remove recent history and act like that didn't happen. They have beaten us. Um, they've beaten us badly. And they've beaten cases. us badly. And sometimes very nationally public. And, 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 and it, and, you know, after, you know, all the pomp and circumstance of college football and, you know, the Husker fans always showing up with the, like all these balloons and everything yeah. ready to just yeah. celebrate a humongous victory. And then we get dumped on by our own team. Mac, so we, it's not even like the other outside media is, is, is humbling us. It's our own team. Well, that's the thing. You just said humble. When we lose to Ohio State, that's humbling right. because that is a blue blood and we respect that team. We respect that program, the history of that program, and that's a humbling loss. Right. When you lose that same way to Iowa, mm-hmm. when you lose that same way to Minnesota, yep. when you lose that same way to Kansas and some of the schools we have, it's not humbling. It's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. It's embarrassing the same way, and I'll throw one of our other programs under the bus. If Nebraska basketball beats Kansas basketball, it's not humbling. It's embarrassing to Jayhawk fans. They shouldn't lose that to Nebraska basketball. Fans. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, you know, when when Michigan State in basketball, they had take no stri- comfort. When Tom Izzo lost a number of times to Nebraska, that wasn't humbling. That was embarrassing to them because they're Michigan State basketball, yeah. and they shouldn't lose to Nebraska. Okay, so to your point, Dave, about having that swagger, I, I do think that that's uh, that's a legitimate thing. We need to have that swagger, and I think we try to bring that. We've talked with the Husk guys about that, and they try to bring that too. I'll tell you, I've had offline conversations with the Husk guys, and they listen to us. So I'm sure they'll hear this. But it's like there's times where you know we lose a game that we shouldn't lose. I was driving back from Colorado, and we were texting back and forth, and it's like, ugh, how do you, you know, how do you keep the the scarlet colored glasses going? God, and you know, you, the worst it is, is having a podcast to do after those embarrassing losses. Like I don't want to talk about how irritated I am <laughs> that the fact that I that I have to acknowledge a loss well, to Minnesota well, so, and a bad loss. So so you know what, Dave, maybe we need to find some other podcasts of other fan bases that are yeah. you know, some other blue blood podcasts that have gone through the same things we have and talk with them and see how they Boomer, you you grew yeah, up a War Eagle, man. Boomer, you grew up a Longhorn fan. You're down from Texas. I mean, that's a program that's gone through so many similar scenarios that we have. I think part of the challenge with us, you know, trying to maintain the, you know, if you want to call it swagger or whatever it is, you know, if you're Texas or you're Alabama, you're going through those tough times. They're still generally in what amounts to the same conference, playing those same teams. You've got a big history you can draw on. I think part of our challenge is we switched conferences and we're playing teams that we don't have this really long established history with. You know, if we go back and we say, oh, it's Oklahoma State may have a chance to beat us this once. Well, 
good God, Osborne never lost Oklahoma State. <laughs> You've got a huge history you can draw on. And, you know, you had Thurman Thomas. You had Barry Sanders. And you never beat us. Yep. You still have that to draw. Now we're we're at the point where we're almost splitting a series with Minnesota. And that's just hard to have swagger with. It, it, it's tough. And that's Boom, a challenge. We take so little swagger or so little product on the field for me to really have an, an obnoxious amount of swagger, if I'm being honest. Sure. Boomer, you are so 100% correct. Dave, when you and I were, and producer Skip and, and Redcast Rob, when we were in Boulder, that game, which in the bigger scheme of things means very little, it was a non-conference game, didn't affect us in the West, all those things, that game meant more to me than any other game this year. Because I hate Colorado. I have this history with Colorado. I've been listening to Colorado games since I was a little kid. We did an entire episode. Our biggest listened to episode was our Colorado special series that producers could put together. That game, there's this history. I don't have that with Iowa. I, I can dislike Iowa all I want, but I don't, I don't care. I, I still hear people talk about you know other Big Ten schools that want to go to the Rose Bowl, and I could really care less about the Rose Bowl. I'd rather get to the playoffs than the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl means nothing to me because I grew up on the Orange Bowl. And I think that's a great yeah, point, I mean, Boomer. I, I care about losing to Minnesota because I live in the 19-teens in my memory. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, that's what that is. But for most people, yeah, it's not yep. a thing. I think so. it's a great point you brought up, Boomer. That's, I'll, I'll end it with that. I will <laughs> say that you know, whenever we encounter a loss in terms of handling like a blue blood, I, I, I don't know how other blue blood fans handle this, but, but to call for – uh, like wholesale changes to the coaching staff when everybody I know <laughs> knows that Frost is simply the most perfect coach we could have for in, in, in America hey, to be our guy. Like, hey, so, hey, Tom Osborne didn't go 4-8 yeah. in his first year, man. There, there's nothing less blue blood than some of the reactions of our fans. Oh. And, and Like, who – Get rid of them. Okay. Oh. There you go. That ought to work. This, they, no, God. <laughs> that, part, go. that part makes it hard to have – Swagger. God, Twitter just gives too many voices. <laughs> it just gives too many voices, folks. Listen. Listen. Don't make the mistake of letting Twitter influence how you feel about your own team. You can watch football. You can look at the tape, and you can make your own assessments. Don't let you know keyboard moron warriors try to tell you who we need to get rid of in this. And they're not breaking down film. They're not breaking down anything. They're just out there throwing little tantrums with a keyboard. So there, there's my PSA on yeah. that one. You can, li- you can find us at Go Big Redcast on Twitter. Yeah. We are- Email me at Brats. <laughs> Whatever. Never mind. I won't say it. Uh, <laughs> hashtag. hashtag. All right. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. All right. Well, I think we covered a lot of bases today. And uh, I think it's time to wrap the show up. So why don't we uh, have our parting shots? Honky, let's uh, start with you. All right, well, let's start with uh, some other sports other than football, and let's start with Husker Wrestling. Uh, they're preseason ranked number four, and two of the wrestlers are ranked in the top five of their weight class, and they are named Chad Red and Derek White. So go Red and White. Um, we're going to move on to baseball, and Drew Christo, uh, top uh, ba- baseball recruit in the state, he, uh, son of Monte Christo, picked Nebraska over Stanford, Creighton, a number of other teams. Uh, that's an awesome get, so congrats to Drew. Uh, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to our hometown of Columbus and both of our schools. Dave, you're a Columbus high grad. Well, uh, Columbus running back Joseph Brash just committed to Wyoming. I believe he's the first D1 commit out of Columbus high since Tim Carpenter. So that we're going all the way back to 1990 there. So that's awesome. 
uh, Boomer, Mac, and I were Columbus Scotus guys. And Tyler Palmer, uh, he just broke a new uh, school record for career points. He has 322 points, which broke Jeff Herzina's uh, record of 309. Jeff Herzina was a running back. Played When we played there, we won the uh, 1993 Class B I'll State Championship. i tell you what, if Jeff, if Jeff Herzina was our kicker right now, <laughs> we would have one less loss. That's That's true. And he could play running back for us, too. So, anyways, uh, go Rocks. Go go Palmer. That's great. Two last things here. Things are getting a little rough in Spartyville. You know, we think it's tough here, but Michigan State has lost four players in the last two weeks. Uh, sophomore Weston Bridges confirmed Monday that he entered the transfer portal. Uh, following linebacker Brandon Boyer-Randall, running backs Connor Hayward and Ladarius Jefferson. So, I mean, that's – Boomer, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, too. I mean, I think Michigan State – there's some pressure there. So this isn't just alone here in Nebraska where we, when things go wrong, we get all worried. I mean, there's there's other schools that are going through this too that aren't even necessarily blue bloods. And last but not least, I want to close by saying thank you to Josh F11B for leaving us a great review on iTunes. He said that we're the best Nebraska pod out there. Great production, great fan interaction, great content. Can He's tell right. these guys, yeah, he, he says it. he can tell that these guys have been friends for a long time yeah. and it benefits the show banter. Go Big Red. So you can leave us a great review and rating like that too, Redcasters. I, I challenge Redcast fans to beat that one. I mean, let's let's, <laughs> let's see what you can do. I mean, that, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I challenge anyone to have more parting shots than me. <laughs> That's almost impossible. Although I would add that Will Bolt is killing it on the recruiting trail. Honky's got three seasons worth of, with parting shots. <laughs> All right, Boomer, what do you got, man? Well, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, and, and a thank you to Rutgers. So no matter how bad Nebraska football is doing, uh, Rutgers will always step forth and make us feel better about ourselves. They managed uh, 75 total yards against Indiana this last weekend, and uh, they managed a grand total of one net passing yard on uh, five completions, which miraculously is only one more yard than they were able to pull off in the very first football game in 1869 versus Princeton. I don't know how you do it, Rutgers, but I'm glad you're there for us. Now, that is old school right Bird there. Birthplace of college football. Wow. Uh, all right, Mac, what do you got? Uh, this is more just of a, re- a request to Redcast Nation as we go into this bye week. I'm just curious as to uh, how you guys uh, use this this particular weekend to make up for the, the other weekends throughout the football season to your wives or, or to your loved ones. And, you know, like, what, what, are, what are you – do you have, like, bye game rituals that you go through to sort of, you know, even the – even the scales of, of, of attention and focus throughout the football season. I'm not saying I'm in trouble with the wife because she'll never listen to this. So there's no real issues here, but, but let's just say that I could, I could use some points in the, uh, in the pro column. So Redcasters hit us up on Twitter. <laughs> well, Mac, I mean, if you take her to Ireland for the uh, yeah. Redcast Ireland right. trip, would that be something? I will, uh, yeah, right? exactly. That would be, that would be something. It would be something. Yeah. Redcasters, right, I, I'm right. curious if you guys would be interested in doing a trip with with the Redcast. I'm just you know throwing that out there. Who knows? Maybe maybe there could be a possibility. I like the idea. Yeah, let's let's work on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, guys. Well, um, I think we'll have plenty of time next week to talk uh, more Husker sports. You know, basketball starting to warm up, uh, etc. Um, but uh, for now, let's enjoy the bye week, the Saturday off. And let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. Beat the bye week. <laughs>